Faith and the law is what we're looking at. Uh, Paul has been teaching throughout uh, Romans up to this point uh, a number of things. First of all, he's been teaching that, uh, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is the way of man. That is our natural inclination. Uh, and he comes to a place after describing and explaining that, uh, that we are like that, that there is no one who does good, no one who is righteous. He comes to this place where he begins describing how someone comes to the living God. How is someone able to stand accepted by God? In what way are we accepted by him? In chapter 3, 21 through 31, he explains the teaching of justification. In other words, we are accepted by God, not because of something that we do, but because of something that God has done. Because he justifies us. He declares us to be righteous. And he does that on a particular basis, and that is the basis of faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so as we look at this, he explains the teaching of justification in 3, 21 through 31. In chapter 4, he defends the teaching from the Old Testament uh, he's uh, defending it in, in, in the sense that people are coming against his gospel, and he's saying it's always been this way. Justification has always been by faith. And so he defends it in uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, 1 through 3, by saying Abraham was justified by faith. He points to Father Abraham. He points to this person that, uh, that all Jews look to as the father of their faith. And he said he was justified by faith, not by what he did. He wasn't following some laws. In 4 through 8, they point toward the king, David. Paul writes about David, and he said he understood the doctrine of justification by faith. He understood that. He comprehended it. In chapters uh, 4, 9 through 12, uh, Paul wants to assure everyone, us included, us Gentiles included, that the gospel is for every kind of person. Every kind of person, whether they're white, whether they're black, whether they're Jew, whether they're Gentile, no matter, slave, free, the gospel is for everyone. And now we come to Verse 13, and he's going to continue talking about justification by faith. I know we've been talking about this a long time. Probably if I would preach more than two verses at a time, we would get along a little better, okay? But it's too important of a doctrine for us to just skim by. And he's bringing out yet another thing about justification uh, through faith in Jesus Christ today. Um, and particularly, he's pointing out why justification cannot be based on obeying the law. Why it cannot be based on obeying the law. So 
beginning in verse 13, we'll go through verse 15. But I want you to see this coming out uh, with three points. First of all, by faith, Abraham became the heir of the world. Abraham became the heir of the world. Second, I want us to understand this. No one is justified by being good. No one is or can be justified by being good. And then last, the law will condemn us. The law will condemn us. So let's look at verse 13 and understand that by faith Abraham became the heir of the world. He's still leading, uh, coming from what has already been spoken. That four at the beginning of verse 13 for the promise to Abraham is launching off of what has just been said in regard to circumcision and what's just been said in regard to uh, how uh, both Jews and Gentiles uh, hear the gospel and can believe the gospel. And he's explaining further by saying this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Our personal obedience to God's standards of righteousness is not, cannot be, never has been, and never will be the basis of our inheriting God's promise. Ever. It was never God's plan that obedience would earn us a place in heaven. Ever. Cannot be, will not be, never has been since before the foundation of the world. Obedience does not gain us favor with God so that he will justify us. Israel... After coming out of exile, y'all may remember why they went into exile. They disobeyed God over and over and over again. And they went into exile, uh, and they came out of exile some 70 years later. New generation coming out. And when they came out of exile, uh, they were determined we're not doing that again. And see, do y'all know what they did? As they focused on the law of God, they became very devoted to the law of God. And that devotion became misshaped and it became warped and led to a belief that the law of God was the instrument by which they were made righteous before God. By the time of Jesus and Paul, 
that belief became rampant, unjust legalism. Which Paul is actually arguing against in this text. Because that legalism led Jews to say, you have to be circumcised or you have to follow the law or you have to become a Jew and believe in Jesus. There's no and after believing in Jesus. Isn't that great? There's no and after trusting him. And Paul's dealing with that legalism. Understand the mindset of those that he is writing to. Those that he has been preaching to throughout his ministry. Understand their mindset uh, was. Is that we must walk in righteousness in order to please God so that we can be with him forever. And that just won't do it. Y'all know why? You won't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. In the previous section, Paul was pointing out that Abraham was justified before he was given the ceremonial sign of circumcision. He was given that as a way of demonstrating justification, not by works. That's why Paul was explaining that. He's continuing that argument, but he's using another way of thinking about it. In verse 13, he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 13, he's reminding them that the justification that Abraham received, he believed God in what? It was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, He's reminding them that the justification that Abraham received came more than 430 years before Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. So Abraham was not justified by following the moral code handed down to Moses, but through believing God's promise. He's pointing out justification can't be by the law because Abraham was justified long before the law existed. Paul mentions three things concerning the promise that was made to Abraham. It says here, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham wasn't saved because he followed the law. He was saved because he believed the promise of God. He was justified because he believed God. The importance of that is that's how we're justified. Believing God. 
Look at these three things that are, uh, that are, that are pointed out. First of all, I want you to see the object of the promise. The object of the promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring. Abraham and his offspring are the object of the promise. There's a couple of different ways that uh, Bible scholars, commentators look at this. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, I believe it is, uh, there is a, a, a phrase that says that the offspring is singular and it is Christ. And in that context, and specifically it's stating it, Paul's saying that's what it is. But here we're looking at the offspring not as being Christ because the context is the redemption and the justification of the offspring by faith in Christ. So the offspring here is everyone who believes. Is that you? Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. That's the context. The context helps us to see that the offspring in this context is not speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of us. Everyone who shares a like faith with Abraham. A faith that believes God. That believes his promise. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a magnificent promise. And that promise wasn't made to righteous people. It was made to sinners. Any of those in here? We believe the promise of God. I'm so glad that the promise of God is not, can you jump this high? If you can jump this high, I'll show you my favor. I'm glad that the promise of God is not based in receiving the promise on anything that we can do. I can't do anything that would cause God to look on me favorably apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. The object of the promise is us, that we would believe. But look at the nature of the promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. <laughs> we don't see that language anywhere else. But that's the implication from Genesis that Paul picks up on. That all the nations would be blessed. That 
Abraham, you'd be heir of the world. And not just Abraham, but who? His offspring. All who have a like faith with Abraham. Abraham was heir of the world. Y'all remember, as you read through the Old Testament, you pick up on something. That the prophets uh, were looking for a day when all the nations would come to Mount Zion and worship God. Uh, you just see that. It's, it's a, I, I generalized it hugely just now. But the prophets were always looking. This is what's going to happen one day. All the nations, not just Israel, all the nations are going to come here. They're going to be here. They're going to be centered on the city of Jerusalem as you look at it in Revelation and understand uh, that it's the city of God, that everything centers around this and that all the nations will come and worship. The nature of the promise, uh, Paul saying, in the gospel, the promise to Abraham is being fulfilled. The promise to Abraham is being fulfilled in the proclamation of the gospel and in people receiving the gospel and believing Jesus Christ. It's just assuring that all the promise of God, that he would be heir of the world, is going to happen one day as we all gather around him together and we worship him. I'm getting excited about that. Can y'all tell? Just thinking about that. Just thinking about that, that we'll be together forever worshiping. The nature of the promise is that it is fulfilled by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all those who trust in him will be saved and together forever. In worship of him. We see the object of the promise. We see the nature of the promise. But we also see the means by which the promise is received. Look what it says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. But through the righteousness of Faith. That's how it's received. It's not received in the not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Many believe today uh, that the way to be accepted by God is to be good, to be moral, to be nice. God will accept you if you're good. God will accept you if you're moral. God will accept you if you're nice. May I be emphatic when I say, no, he will not. He does not accept your goodness. In fact, your goodness is a stench to him. That's the thinking of many, both in the church and in the world. If I'll just be good enough, if my good will outweigh my bad. 
Paul is directly contradicting that in this text. He is directly saying there are no works of the law that will set you right before God, that will give you favor before God. God appointed that we would be embraced by him through faith, not obedience to the law. Can I say that one more time? God appointed that we would be embraced by him through faith and not obedience to the law. Can I shorten that up? (laughs) It's just happening right here. God appointed to embrace you. Can, can you all just take that in for a minute? If you're a believer in Christ today, can you just take in for a moment that God appointed to embrace you through faith? And think about that for a moment. When he appointed to embrace you, You were a filthy, rotten, stinky sinner. There was nothing about you that caused him to say, I want to hug that one. I want to embrace that one. It's so good of God, so gracious. So merciful to save us. It's so merciful that he doesn't do it by what we do. It leads us to this thought, no one is justified by being good. In chapter 2, Paul In chapter 3, Paul effectively argued that no one is good. No one is righteous. Look with me at verse 14, chapter 4 of Romans. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. There is no promise if that's the case. In other words, there can't be both faith and law when it comes to justification. No one is righteous. Paul is saying this nullifies the claim that obedience to the law justifies. There's no one who's righteous. No one will be justified if it is by the law. No one. We're without hope. How could anybody cling to salvation by what we do? 
talking about hopeless, right? Do y'all see the hopelessness in that? How many of y'all looked at somebody this week and thought yourself better than them? How many of you this week sinned in your mind, your thinking? Happens like that, doesn't it? It's not possible for anyone to be justified by works of the law, by doing or not doing. He says such a claim renders the promise of God void, nullified. No one will be blessed. That's what it means. If that's the case, no one will be blessed. Notice what the implications are of this thought of justification through the law, justification by works. If God accepts only those who do enough to please him, or let's say it another way, if God accepts only those who first love him, that's a way of thinking about it too. We're without hope. The thinking of the Jews is saying God loves us because we first loved him. <laughs> that turns scripture upside down on its head and bounces it over and over again. Because scripture clearly says that we love because he first loved us. Scripture clearly teaches that we can't love him because we love ourselves, and because we love this world and because we love our desires and because we love all the things that are against him. We don't love him. If it was left up to us to love him first, no one would be saved. No one. Paul's saying, if you teach that salvation is by your goodness and your obedience, then you're saying that God only saves those who love him and obey him, who first love him and first obey him. In other words, they save themselves. And nobody saves themselves. Nobody. 
And we don't love God first. He loves us. We can't even define love apart from him. Their way of thinking makes us more loving than God is. But that's just not true, is it? He has loved us with an everlasting love. That's a love that we don't have. His love is described as steadfast love. Never-ending love. Always prevailing love. For it is the, if it is the adherence of the law, if it's that, who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Faith is unnecessary. Faith is useless. And if faith is useless and the law is necessary, there is no promise. Paul's just putting it matter-of-factly. If it's not faith, it's nothing. It is all-or-nothing language. There is no gaping hole. There's no glimmer of light that gives possibility that it could be a law. He's taking the law completely out of the picture as it comes to justification. And he's saying, if it's the law, there's nothing. We're hopeless. Mankind will not endure. All will be punished eternally. That's what he's saying. No one is justified by being good. By the way, that's a praise, okay? That's not something we should be, oh, man, really? No, that's good. That's good news. Because if anybody's justified by being good, there's no hope. We're wasting our time here. But we're not. Isn't that great? We're not wasting our time. We're worshiping the living God who has saved us and redeemed us, not because of any works of our own, but because of the work of Jesus Christ alone. I'm so thankful for that. You hear these arguments today, by the way. There are many out there, many gospels that say if you don't work for it, you can't have it. And every one of those, by the way, say you can lose it. I think I've quoted John MacArthur for y'all. If you could lose your salvation, you would. 
If you, I mean, that's straightforward, isn't it? If you could lose it, you would. There's many gospels that demand particular works in order for one to be saved. Those are no gospel whatsoever. A gospel that says you have to have faith and works is no gospel at all. It's a false gospel. Don't get me wrong. Because somebody's going to get me wrong. Somebody always gets me wrong. Before you are saved, and let me just say, the law will condemn us. Third point. Before, all right, look what it says. Let me read the text. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath. That's straightforward. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. To lost sinners, the law condemns. Rightly so. You read the law? You shall not murder. Well, I hadn't committed murder. Well, Jesus said that if you hate your brother, oh. I mean, we get nabbed somewhere along the way when it comes to the law. The law does that. It points to our error. It points to our sin. It demonstrates that we <clears throat> have great need for a Savior. But I want you to understand this. When we are saved, the law is our friend. The law is the friend to us that says, this is the way to walk. Walk in it. So when I say, don't misunderstand me. Don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that once we're saved, just go live footloose and fancy free. That's actually what the Jews thought Paul was saying. So in chapter 6, the question from the imaginary friend comes in. It says, shall we keep on sinning that grace may abound? Can you see Paul? No. It's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. But that's what the gospel sounds like, and it ought to. Because sharing the gospel is about laying out how one is justified and works of the law have nothing to do with it. Which is why by the time they get to chapter 6, Paul's saying, I'm going to go ahead and throw this question out there because I get asked it everywhere I preach the gospel. And no. But the law does do something. It condemns. For the law brings wrath. This is the only thing we can earn 
through obedience to the law. God's wrath. That's all you can earn through obedience to the law. God's wrath. Go ahead and use that gospel. Use that strategy. And see how things go before the throne of God one day. <laughs> Not going to work out. The law demonstrates our fallenness and inability to live out God's righteous demands. Can I throw some hope in there? Here it is. Those righteous demands of God are met in Jesus Christ alone and imputed to all those who believe. That's it. That's good news. The righteous demands that God has for us, he sees them in Jesus Christ and he meets them. And all who believe in Jesus will be saved. That's the gospel. What are you believing in? Are you believing in your goodness? Are you believing in how nice you are? Are you believing in your reputation? Or is all your hope and all your trust and everything that you are in Christ alone? Because apart from that, none of us will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sustaining love and power to all those who believe. We thank you, God, that those you have justified, you will also glorify. Lord, we want to thank you that the only thing we have is to trust in Christ alone. And with that comes what only you can do. And that is to make us holy, blameless before you. Father, I pray that you'd help us as your children to walk and to live and to love as those who have been redeemed and made new by you. And Father, I pray for those who are trusting in something other than Jesus Christ alone. That, Lord, you would take this gospel and you would penetrate their soul, their heart, their mind, their whole being with it. And, Lord, that they would believe on Jesus Christ alone. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.